Beloved, listen to this. This is the word of God. After I read this, it's downhill from there. So you can bank everything you are on what I'm about to say. All right? Because this is truth. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. But do not quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Verse 6, the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor to the Lord and gives thanks to God. Verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Chapter 15, we who are strong have an, have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we may have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have given us opportunity to sit under your word and to think about it. Lord, it is a gift that we get to gather here and sing and confess and be reminded that you forgive. It, it is a gift to declare that our only comfort in life and death is you, Jesus. Even though many times we live during the week and we don't even think about that at all. But Lord, we thank you again for your word. We thank you that you have communicated with us what is most true. So help us understand ourselves better. And as always, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would lead us to Christ. Make him irresistible to us afresh. For we pray in your name, Jesus, you are our hope. Amen. All of us have heard it said in many different ways or many different places that you need to spend 10,000 hours in doing something in order for you to master it. You heard this before? You need to spend 10,000 hours on a hobby in order for you to really master that hobby and know what you're doing and be able to make it your own and really advance and have success with it. I want you to understand that if you're here exploring Christianity or if you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, that is not the way Christianity works. Christianity is not putting on a new skill set. Becoming a Christian or, uh, or growing in your faith and what it means to, to become more like Jesus is a lot more, it is you laying hold of something, but it's far more that someone has laid hold of you. 
That's why salvation is by grace. So when we look at this chapter together, I want you to understand. Don't think about this as developing new skills. Think about this as who is laying hold of me? And what is this person doing in my life? Because that's what God is doing through chapter 14 and 15. He's answering a question that we talked about. But I want you to have this mentality of following Jesus. It's not mastering him. It's realizing that someone has laid hold of you and are continuing to work in your life. So here are two stops this morning as we work through this passage together. We are going to summarize what we talked about last week, summarize 14, 15, and then takeaways. Those are my two stopping points today, summary and takeaways. And I've got three takeaways for you. So let's jump into the text and summarize what we talked about last week and summarize 14 and 15. So one question we're answering, how do we do church when each of us are in a different place on the journey toward maturity? How do we live together? How do we do it? One question. There are two groups of people in this passage. There are two groups of people in the church. They are called in the passage weak and strong. Two groups of people. And remember, keep in mind, both of these groups, the weak and the strong, are followers of Jesus. Sincere, genuine followers of Jesus. It's not that God loves one more than the other. It's not one that's better than another. Both of them belong to Jesus. They just happen to be in the same body. They're in the same church. And they're trying to figure out how do we live together. Remember, not only are they both followers of Christ, it's, it's not the difference between one's a believer and one isn't. The issue between the strong and the weak is this, maturity. Those that are weak in their faith haven't worked out all of the implications of Jesus' death and resurrection. They haven't worked out all of the consequences of what Jesus has accomplished. And so what that means is this. Those that are weaker in their faith have created a list of non-essential things. Whether they just grew up that way or whether they gravitated toward this or that, they've created a list of things that are not essential. And those that are weak have attached spiritual significance to non-essential things. And by doing those non-essential things, the weaker person thinks to themselves, I need to do this to feel spiritually okay. But it doesn't stop there. It continues on such that those that are weaker begin to evaluate others based upon whether or not they measure up to this list of non-essential things. And the weaker person thinks, if we don't do these non-essential things, then we're just not going to grow, or in order to be effective, we have to do these non-essential things, or we have to have these opinions in order to be right with God. And so it means that those that are weaker are actually far more easily offended. They get offended very easily because in their mind, their operating system, 
start thinking about these non-essential things that they have attached spiritual significance to. They haven't worked out all the implications of what the gospel says. That means that they have a lot of opinions about everything. Incredibly opinionated. But the gospel hasn't prioritized their life. So they have opinions about everything and nothing's prioritized. The stronger have just worked out more implications of the gospel. That's it. It's a maturity difference. And let me let you in on a little secret. Your pastor is strong in some areas and weak in other areas. All of us are strong in some areas and weak in some areas. So just in case you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm the strong one that he's talking about. I'm not. Neither are you. We have differences. And how in the world are we going to live together? Well, you see, these differences, the text tells us, are these. This is our summary. So you got these two groups, and here's where their differences shake out. So they differ on food, they differ on drink, and they differ on days. So there's some who think that we need to celebrate these days, and they attach spiritual significance to days. There's some who think that we shouldn't eat certain foods, so they don't eat certain foods. Because in their mind, they're thinking this is part of me being clean and, and this is what makes me feel spiritually okay. And, and, and there's differences about drink. Some are okay with alcohol and, and, and some are not. And those that aren't okay with it are attached and thinking that there must be some type of cultish or, or pagan connection here. So they, they don't want to drink and consume alcohol. Now we might extrapolate this out. Depending on how old you are, here here's some other things that we might add to this list. See if these resonate with you. Those are just the three that come from the scripture. Days, drink, and food. Here's some other ones that you might have grown up with thinking, ooh, we gotta watch out for this. Certain shows, certain movies, certain music. Maybe you grow up having to dress a certain way because you couldn't wear this or wear that. There are all kinds of these rules that perhaps you grew up in and under. And it creates, because people have differences. So what are we going to do? And remember, in this summary, remember, if you look back through 14 and 15, you'll find that there is an answer. That God has actually spoken to these things. He's made it very clear. Regarding food, there's nothing that's unclean. Eat what you want. All because of Jesus. Eat what you want. Drink what you want. All because of what Jesus has done. Eat what you want. Drink what you want. And you don't have to celebrate any particular days. Christ was the fulfillment of that whole celebration of these spiritual days in the Old Testament, these travel feasts and everything else, Christ has satisfied all of that. So we actually only have one day. It's the Sabbath, it's Sunday. It's the first day of the week. All the other days, 
There aren't any more, there's any more spiritual significance given to certain days or not. We rest one and work, work six. Now, that's the summary. Let's get into the takeaways. So here's takeaway number one. I want you to understand the goal of why God writes all this. The goal. What's the goal? What's God really after in this? Well, let me tell you what it's not. If you go back through and read this section, you'll find this. The goal is not to make everyone strong. God doesn't say to the weak, hey, you just need to get stronger. He doesn't tell the strong, hey, you need to help the weak get stronger because the goal is for them to get stronger. The goal is not to be right. God's already made pronouncements about days and drink and food. The goal is not that some people are just flat out wrong and others are right, and if you just get everything right, everything will be great. God has said, the one who drinks, drinks in faith. The one who does not, does not in faith. The one who celebrates days in faith, honors the Lord. Those who don't celebrate the day, they honor the Lord, you see? He's not saying that you just gotta be right. How many of us live our lives thinking, you know, if I was just a little bit more right in everything, then my life would just be better. How many of you look at controversies or struggles in the world and you think to yourself, hey, if these people would just get right, if they would just get it right, I want you to understand God writes this, he writes this to us, and he's saying the goal is not for everyone to be strong, and the goal is not for everybody to be right. The goal is that you learn and we learn how to get along in the midst of our differences. That's what God's saying. The goal of what God desires is for us to get along, even when there are differences, that we're supposed to get along. We're supposed to figure out what those differences are and arm in arm, stay together, both of us love the Lord, both of us are doing what we're doing in faith, and we just keep trucking together, living together, all for the glory of God. God wants a people that don't agree on everything, and he wants them to get along. That's the goal. Here's takeaway number two. This passage is a real heart shot. It's a real shot to the heart. Now, lately I've been watching a good number of hunting videos. Uh, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't consider myself someone that hunts all the time because I don't. But I really have enjoyed watching hunting videos. I, I've watched, you know, people hunting with bow, rifle, all kinds of animals. And let me tell you, there is a real art if you hunt. There's a real art to it. You, the, you, if you're a hunter, and depending on what you are obviously hunting, there are ways that you try to call animals to get close to you. You all know this at Hunt quite a bit. There's a real art to making different kinds of noises and learning how to make different kinds of noises that sound like animals because you're trying to confuse the animal and make him think that you're one of them. So they'll get close to you. And then when they get close enough, 
boom, you take a shot. And most of the time, the animals don't even see it coming. And I want you to understand that this passage is a heart shot. And we don't even see it coming. I know that what I'm about to say, it's possible that what I'm about to say may come across as condescending. So I want to tell you from the beginning, from the outset, that is not my intention at all. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say what I'm about to say because I care. But I know that you might feel blindsided. So I want to tell you from the beginning, I, I'm saying this because I care. Don't mean it in a condescending way. I know that God wants to push us beyond our limits. And that means that there are times where, we, where we've got to feel, we've got to be open to feeling uncomfortable because God's going to push us. So I want to tell you two reasons why this is a heart shot and we don't see it coming. Here's reason number one. The time in which we live, our definitions of weak and strong are the opposite of what God tells us here in Romans 14 and 15. Let me make, try to make sense of that. In the time that we live in, if you have opinions about everything and there's no prioritization in your life, people consider you a strong person. And the Bible says you're weak. We live in a day and time in which if you have opinions, but you don't always feel like you have to share them in every situation that you're in, in our day and age, you're considered weak. And the Bible says you're strong. Do you see how we flipped everything? Second, the second reason why this is a heart shot that we don't see coming is that we live in a time in which the American church is dominated by a culture of spiritual weakness. The church is very weak. To try to make that more clear, think about how people evaluate the church. People think about the church and it has nothing to do with whether or not the church preaches the gospel and works out the implications of the gospel. People evaluate the church based upon things that are non-essential. Meaning, people evaluate the church based upon politics. People evaluate the church based upon certain days. What do you do on this day? Do you have this day? Do you, have, do you not have this day? By the way, let's just specify that all the way down to Easter. Easter. 
well, do you do anything special on Easter? And the reality is, I want you to understand, we celebrate Easter 52 times a year. But people think of certain days and attach spiritual significance to it and think, well, if you don't do that, then you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. The, the typical culture of a church is activity and busyness. Not understanding the gospel and the implications of the gospel and developing relationships with each other and growing in relationships with each other. In other words, the point of the church is to gather together around the gospel, around the table. It is to pray and enjoy fellowship. You can find that in Acts 2, 42. That's what the first century church was doing. Following the apostolic teaching about Jesus, breaking bread together, praying together, and enjoying community and fellowship together. It means that there are some times in which people will refuse to associate with other people who drink. All the way down to no alcohol at communion. It means that church culture has a natural flow toward uniformity in non-essentials. And God is building up a people who are unified around the essentials. See, it's a heart shot because we live in a time in which what we think is strong is actually really weak. We live in a time in which the church is actually really weak and confused and wrapped around the axle about things that are non-essential and focusing on those things. See, that leads us God wants a people who believe that the kingdom of God is not about food and drink. But it is about, what does he say? Righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. In other words, there should be a priority in our lives in which we can have opinions about all kinds of things. If you're interested in politics, great. I believe that you can do that in faith. If you're not that interested in politics, great. I believe that you can do that in faith. If you're interested in following certain days, great. I believe that you can do that in faith. If you're not interested in certain days, wonderful. I believe you can do that in faith. Those things don't matter. Do you understand? The most important thing is that God is gathering a people together who want to focus on Jesus to where he is the objective, he is the hope, he is the desire, and what he has done and has accomplished is everything. 
and prioritizes everything else. It helps us understand that if I'm growing in Christ and if I'm serving the church and if I'm putting my energies and resources into the kingdom of God, these other things just don't matter that much. But we love to get caught up in them and make them the main thing by attaching spiritual significance to the, many of those that is far, we attach far more significance to it than God does. That leads me to this. The third takeaway is that God wants us to have a posture of humility. Remember verse 3 of chapter 14. The, the areas where, where you're strong, don't look down on those who are weaker. And, and those that are weak, and we have areas where you're weak, don't judge those who are stronger. Don't, don't say that they're accommodating the world. Don't say that they're worldly. Don't, don't judge them in saying that they're far less mature than you. And, and, and again, don't look down on those who are weaker and think, well, those people just have all these rules and they just have to do all these rules and it just so messes up their lives. And No. God wants us to learn how to live together in a posture of humility to where those that are strong aren't trying to impose their freedom on those who are weak. And those that are weaker are not trying to take away the freedom of the strong. That there's a posture of humility in which the ethos of, of God's church is one of caring, not dismissing. In which the culture of God's church and God's people is that we are a people who are swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to get angry. That there's this posture of humility in which we are willing to meet people exactly where they are and love them over time without compromising truth. It means that this posture of humility requires an enormous amount of patience and to grow in our patience for one another, toward one another. So that we're kind of, it's kind of difficult to make us angry. We're not too worried about things that are non-essential. Talk about them if you want to. It's just not going to be the main thing that holds us together. Because the main thing that holds us together is what? The gospel is Jesus and all that he has done. You see, all of this is exactly the way that Jesus has come to us. Remember? Think about Jesus leaving heaven and coming to earth and taking on human form to pursue people like you and me. He adjusted his life. He added humanity to come to people like us. If you read the interactions that we have of his life on earth in the gospel accounts, 
Think about how he welcomed people. Think about how he engaged them. Think about how he asked questions. Think about how he was open to being misunderstood. Think about how he wasn't always walking around trying to correct every human being, thinking if they just thought correctly, their life would be much better. He opened himself up and he pursued and listened and asked and loved without compromising any truth at all, ever, in his thoughts, his words, or his deeds, ever. Think about the cross. I don't know of a more superior way to exemplify identifying with people and telling them the truth. On the cross, Jesus was saying, y'all have rebelled against God and I'm taking your sin, right? He's identifying with broken people who rebel against God, who have sinned against God, who have sinned against each other, who have brought disease and death and destruction into the world. That's us. And Jesus is saying, I am the sin bearer. And at the same time, he's saying to us, you're rebellious. You've wandered from God. And here God is pursuing you. Here he was on the cross saying, you don't even know what you're doing. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Think about the empty tomb. When Jesus got up on this first day of the week, on the Sunday morning, and walked out of the tomb, he defeated death. He blew a hole out the back of death so that you might have new life and I might have new life so that sin would be defeated, so that death one day would be no more, so that one day the new heavens and new earth will exist and heaven's coming down. Beloved, this is the way that we have experienced Jesus. This is the message of Christ. This is how he pursues you and me all the time. He listens. He challenges. He died for you. He rose for you. So that we might in turn understand that's how he relates to us. And then by grace, that's how we relate to others.